The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Pirrett. I'm here in Colorado with uh, Tree Triola. Tree, how's it going? Pretty good, John. Always good to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, making the time to come on. Um, if I did not say this already, this is episode 363. Uh, we will have Dr. Kelly Capick uh, finishing out our Rested Development segment in just a little bit. And then later on, Tree, Drew, Chris, and I will be talking about some of the frequently asked questions. But right now I'm here with Tree uh, talking about an essential book for youth ministry uh, Tree, do you have an essential book for youth ministry for us? I do, and it's a book that is probably the most read book on my bookshelf. I have a lot of books on my bookshelf that I haven't read, uh, but <laughs> this one in particular is the one that has the, the most folded page corners and is a little bit more uh, ratty because uh, I've used it so much. But it's A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Mm. I have always just gleaned from the wisdom of Eugene. I think he's been a gift to the church in a lot of different areas. And the reason I love that book is because it works through just the whole picture of discipleship. and the It, it works through the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, each chapter kind of addresses a different uh, as, uh, aspect of discipleship and uh, just looking at uh, how we are pilgrims in this world and how we are looking towards something better. And for me, that, that has been so transformational and foundational for me, not only as, a, as an individual, but also just in my, my profession uh, just looking at how, if I look towards attorney, that actually shapes the way that I act and live today. Uh, so whether it's how I have personal worship or um, just looking at how how can I approach things humbly, that, that kind of stuff shapes me because I know that there's something greater that that influences how I live now. So I've always loved long obedience in the same direction. Mm. Yeah, that is one that I've got on my bookshelf. I've heard about it from a lot of people, and I still have not picked it up and read it and said maybe this will kind of tip the scales for me to finally pick that up. Um, when you say you read it a lot and you've, you know, dog-eared the pages and all that, do you are you intentional of, okay, this is something I want to read read through every year, or are you just kind of you pick it up and read a few pages and kind of ruminate on it a little bit? Yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's not something I build into my schedule, but it just always seems to be one that I go back to. Um, for, for many reasons, we actually did it in a men's Bible study uh, this past year. And we kind of worked through, not all the chapters, but most of them. But it's always just a book that I, like, if I'm looking for, like, a easy, short read, I mean, it's, it's really a pretty easy read. Uh, I, that's just the one that I, I always find myself going back to. Yeah, no, I, I like that um, suggestion a lot. And I like, too, how it ties in with our discussion a little bit later um, about just... Um, you know, being a real pastor as a youth worker. So yeah. that's a discussion that we'll, we'll have because it's, you know, it's not a quote-unquote youth ministry book, yeah. um, but but definitely one anyone in, in student ministry uh, needs to read through just based on what I've heard other pastors say about that book. So thanks for sharing that, uh, Tree. Yeah, uh, right now here is uh, Dr. Kelly Capick.
All right, we are back with Dr. Kelly Capic. We are continuing a discussion focused on his book, uh, You're Only Human. Um, I'd love to, to shift focus and maybe talk about students a little bit. I know you have a section where you discuss that, and um, so many people listening to this podcast are either youth workers or, or parents. Uh, but just let me um, read this quote that you have from your book, and then I'd love for you to speak to it. Uh, you said, recognizing and rejoicing in our particular kind of finitude is a massive challenge, especially in the affluent driven West. This shows up not just in our unrealistic expectations about how much we accomplish in a day, but also in our failure to value rest and slow growing relationships. This problem takes many forms from inappropriate expectations placed on our children to dehumanizing practices in the workforce. Christians often burn out from overcommitment to church activities or ministries, or they go to the opposite extreme, never volunteering for anything because they fear the unending demands that will come once they have committed. Um, I'd love for us just to kind of speak broadly about busyness kind of as a culture, um, and then maybe uh, shift our focus on the church a little bit as well, which can be just as, as guilty of that. Yeah, well, this is fun because if if part of your audience are high school kids or those who minister and work alongside high school kids, this is what we got to talk about, right? Because it's another area I didn't originally anticipate researching when I started you know, officially writing the book and then realized, and partly because I still had teens, um, how much I think the educational system in America, and particularly, I have to be honest, I mean, in, in middle, upper middle class affluent areas, uh, because there is a distinction, really catechizes our children and ourselves in this. And here's what I mean. The average day for a high school kid goes like this. You guys can tell me you work in this. Tell me if this sounds about right. By 730 or so, kids are leaving the house. And I know it's, sometimes it's earlier, but 730, they're heading out. They go to school. They're in classes till about 330 p.m. After class, they change. They go directly to an intramural, whether that is a sport or theater or band or you name it. Um, they do that until 6 6.30 or whatever, they rush home, they shove some food in or do a fast food restaurant, they shower, and then they do homework until bed, 10.30 or 11, right? And now I know we were like, well, they looked at their phone too much during the day and they could have gotten it done. Fit. But I'm just telling you, that is, does that sound like a normal pattern that you see pretty Absolutely. regularly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So think about doing that for four years in a row. And then you go to college and you continue roughly in that kind of pattern. And then you graduate. What do you think a faithful day looks like then? It means filling every moment with stuff you need to do. And if you're not doing it, you're being lazy. Hmm. And especially since most of that stuff we need to do is not necessarily church related or other things. It's it's career, it's, it's leisure, it's these, but it is to do, to do, to do, to do. Um, and so I think we've been shaped from very early on that that is the expectation of what a good full day looks like. And I think that is distorting our expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would assume, you know, as I talked about the church, uh, that the church is just kind of 
picked up on this cultural expectation um, that it's trying to maybe compete with all the activities that, that the world is is offering. So I, I'd love for you to, to maybe continue to speak about um, just how we're catechizing our children in this, but then also maybe how the church plays a role in that as well. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I think there are, um, every church is different. Um, I think there are programs that are super helpful to people. Um, and so, and people are in different seasons of life. They're not all in the same season and we have to recognize that. But I think it's a genuine question of, of asking, what does the church value? What, it, what are our, its priorities? How are we helping people serve Christ and honor him in the church and the world? And one of the things I would ask is just for both individual Christians, but, but especially the corporate body, or what what are the things that reflect the heart of Christ that we should value that should should shape us? Because it's very interesting that um, it is definitely the proclamation that Christ is crucified and risen. But when you look at you look at the evidence of what you know, Jesus, when John the Baptist asked, "Are you the one, or is there another?" Jesus said, "Well, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the poor have the the evangelion have the good news preached to them." Well, we say, well, those are just miracles that happened to show that Jesus was really God or something. Well, those are signs that the king has come. And that king is the king of creation. And so he's trying to set it right, right? And that includes proclamation, not just of good news, but of good news to the poor. That means blind, see, deaf, part. So there are things that God cares about that Christians should be participating in as we, as we, both receive and then participate in God's love and the spreading of shalom. So one of the things I would ask is, does the church in its values and priorities help foster the, this heart in God's people so that they can make better decisions about their relationships and time and some of those things? Does that make any sense? Because there's a lot more that could be said on that, but maybe that's enough. Yeah, no, it, it does make sense. Linda, I'd, I'd love for you to jump in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, the way that you describe the average day of a high school mm -hmm. student, that's even the average day of uh, a lot of my middle school students, you yeah, know, um, yeah. increasingly like it's, it's seeping down into there now too. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I've even seen students that they say, you know, here's what my day looks like every day. Mm -hmm. And they talk through it and they say, you know, that it has massive like relational, um, yeah effects for them because they don't have the kinds of friendships they would like to. And I'm seeing it have mental health effects. Totally. Too. Um, mental health. Yeah. And do, so, can I ask you as you, mm -hmm. before you say more, do you think, do you think it's, I don't know if I want to say primarily, but heavily driven because parents are pushing this expectation and behind it is this worry that they're not going to get jobs or in this college to get a job, to be able to be, make the financial I don't know. Anyways, what would you mm -hmm. say to that? Yeah, they, um, so my church happens to have a Christian school that it runs mm -hmm. to. And it's, it's interesting because our lead pastor got to speak at the school's chapel not too long ago and mm -hmm. gave a message about eliminating hurry from their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, which if a lot of y'all have listening, have read a book that is along right, the title right, right, of that. Yeah. Yes. Like that's where it came from. Um, <laughs> and 
I was talking with some students later about, Hey, what did y'all think of that? Does that feel like something you would like to do? Does it feel doable? And they were like, I mean, it sounds great, but we can't because our lacrosse coach tells us that we mm-hmm. suck as a team and we need to get better. And then this teacher has this project and this thing, like there's yep. so many things being required of them. And so, yeah, like while they do recognize, they put some of the pressure on themselves, mm-hmm. there's so much coming at them from all the adults in their lives. And, yep. and that apparently was a little bit of by speaking at chapel, the pastor also recognized he was doing it in front of a lot of teachers and whatnot too. So right, they were right. as well, you know, so yeah. kind of the subversive way to say, Hey, like we all need to yeah, think through this. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's kind of, I, I remember, you know, as I've talked about this stuff for years and, and I try and meet with students and listen, and I had this, um, this young woman meet with me over lunch, college student, and she brought for this meeting, it was great. She brought a colored chart of her week with, you know, every hour was mm-hmm. a box and it was a different color according to what she needed to do that hour. And it was stunning. The whole thing was filled with color. And she said, you know, if here is me trying to do everything that you professors and others that I respect tell me I should be able to do in a day, in, in a mm-hmm. week, right? So you guys say, well, you should get eight hours or more of sleep. You're caught, you even need more than that, but just eight hours of sleep. When we say you shouldn't shove food in your mouth, you should sit down, have a meal with people, da da da. Um, you should study this much for out of class for every hour you're in class. You should, and when you looked at it visually, you realized it's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so that's where the aha moment is. But most of us just don't have the courage to get there. We feel guilty about not doing what if we actually map it out is literally impossible. <laughs> and part of what I found interesting is just recently, um, Oliver Berkman, who doesn't, from what I can tell, is not a Christian. He's written a number of best-selling time management books. He wrote his most recent book is called 4,000 Weeks. And what 4,000 weeks means, that's the average lifespan of someone in the West today. And he he realized, now he doesn't use that to say, you only got 4,000 weeks. Everyone thinks the title means you only got 4,000 weeks, so get busy. And actually, instead, he had this aha moment. as this, And it, so what's interesting is this time management guy has this aha moment. And he realized time management is our attempt to deny and overcome mortality. And now from a Christian perspective, there's interesting things in there, but he's like, the reality is you only have this much time and you literally can't do everything. So stop feeling guilty like you should. So what are the things that you think in a reasonable way in the relationships? What, what does that look like? Well, that's part of what I, I'm saying. When I say Christians can confuse finitude and sin, we think we're sinning by not doing everything, knowing everything, being at everything, etc. It's literally impossible, but we go around carrying this low level guilt constantly. And that shows theologically and pastorally. My big concern is we think being a creature is sinful. And the fact is God loves human creatures. He made us to be limited. He made us to be dependent, right? There's a whole nother chapter on humility. And I think we've misunderstood humility. And a test of that is when you ask the most Christians, why should we be humble? We say, well, because we're sinners. Well, yes, we're sinners. And the fact that we're sinners is a reason to be humble, but that is not why we should be humble. Ultimately, 
we should be humble because we're creatures. And what I mean by that is even if there were no sin and fall, humans were made to be humble. What I mean by that is we were always, even before sin, dependent on God, dependent on neighbor, dependent on the earth. And so humility doesn't just say, I'm sorry. Humility says, I don't know. Humility says, can you help me? Those aren't signs of sin. Those are signs of being a good, faithful creature because dependence, which is a bad word in the Western world, is part of the good way God made us because dependence brings us together in healthy ways. Codependence is a problem because it distorts those. Sin distorts dependence, but dependence is not the result of sin. Does that make sense? That's a lot, but... Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And before we leave this kind of just idea of the busyness of our, our students, maybe speak to youth workers and, and parents kind of, you know, it, it's hard not to hear that and to know it's a reality and, and to just despair. What What is maybe the role of the youth worker to come alongside those students who are exhausted and saying like, this is kind of the culture of my school and, and what do I do? Um, what, what are some thoughts there? Those are great questions. And they are questions as much or more for the parents and pastors as they are for the children. Because I find in my own dysfunctional self that though I speak of grace and rest, basically there is this tendency to commu- to say, I'm busy and everybody else better be busy. And if they're not, they're slothful. And we don't tend to call people that or say it directly, but we communicate it. And so in our sermons, in our homes, what are we communicating, right? So if we just jump to the youth and say, hey, guys, it's okay to rest. They're like, well, is it? (laughs) Because you have to convince my mom and dad first. And you have to convince my youth pastor first, right? And the one thing I'd say to youth ministers, say to myself, say to ministers is, here's the test of whether or not we have a healthy view of our affinity. Do we pray? And I know all of us know we should pray more, but I've really come to believe when we're living in denial of our finitude, we don't tend to pray because if we're honest, prayer is just a waste of time. We're not doing anything. Nothing's getting done. But when we become really keenly aware of our finitude, we can't help but pray because we realize we need God. We're dependent upon him. We, but not just not just we can't help but pray to ask for things, but to express gratitude, to express lament. Um, and so I, I would also encourage youth ministers to really cultivate the value of prayer in your own life, because that brings a slowness to yourself that then can be communicated, not just in word, but in life. And it often comes indirectly um, to those you work with. That's good. I know we're going to be wrapping up soon, but Linda, I'd love for you to to jump in before we close things out. Yeah. So if, if we were sitting down with a group of students and walking them through the whole, mm. hey, here's you know what you think is expected of you in a given day or a week or whatever, mm. and we are trying to lead them to, okay, but what does it look like to actually live at a pace that honors our human limits? Mm. How would you have that conversation with them? What would you lead them to? Yeah. Well, I would probably circle around to faithfulness again. Mm -hmm. You know, part of what part of what's so frustrating about this for us is that there's no simple formula. So the truth is, 
there are a lot of kids who are getting um, A's and are slothful <laughs> because it's easy for them. They're not. And there are other kids that are getting B minuses and being faithful. And so there's not, there's not a simple, that's why even like, well, it's okay to get lower grades or whatever. It's, it's not even that simple. Right. So it is, it is trying to help them say, okay, guys, you know, when you say you study for an hour, have you just stared at your phone on and off for 40 minutes? Right. Um, but here, I guess here, Linda, to go to your question, here's often what I find myself now talking with students about. We tend to blame smartphones and Netflix and binge watching for these problems because we're quote unquote wasting all this time. I've actually started to put that on its head and go, why is it we are so attracted to binge watching and just surfing or flipping through things on our phone endlessly? And rather than thinking those things are the cause of the problem, I now see that they're the sign of a deeper malady. They're a way of escaping or getting out of this constant sense of, I got to perform. And so if we, we just keep ourselves distracted, we can, we can escape that. So I would want to kind of indirectly go, why, why do we, because students, you guys know, students could be way more organized in their life. They don't have to go to bed at 1030 at night or, but, but what is it that's affecting them and this whole, whole thing? That's what I would, I would be exploring. Well, Dr. Capic, there's so much more to talk about, um, but uh, we, we appreciate the time that you've given. I want to remind our, our listeners uh, that the name of the book is You're Only Human, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. Uh, I cannot thank you enough just for, for your time to, to come on and uh, talk about this very important subject. Thank you for your work. You got it. And, you know, I was just thinking, here's one final practice I'll leave with them. Uh, honestly, um, and you guys may, you two may already do this, but I find the value of a walk, the mm -hmm. value of nature, um, is so helpful. And that's a small thing that people can do. Even high school kids can do. Um, and the, and as you were just naming the book, I realized, well, for a lot of folks who are just burned out, there is an audio version <laughs> and it's fascinating how these things, you know, but we're, we're. We're worn down. So go for a walk in the woods and listen to this book and maybe, maybe God might use it. So um, thank you for having me. Yeah, that's a great word in. Alan. Thanks again. Take care. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, I am here with three guests. Um, let's try to introduce ourselves. Uh, I'll start this way. What's up? I'm Chris Holland. I'm the unordained director of youth ministries at Catalina Foothills Church in Tucson, Arizona. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. Uh, it's Drew Turberville from River Oaks Reformed Presbyterian Church in Germantown, Tennessee. Hey, everybody. I'm Tree Triello. I'm the associate minister at Westminster Presbyterian in Bryan, Texas. It's good to be here. All right. And Tree and Chris have been on the podcast plenty of times. Drew has actually been on too. Um, Drew, yeah, a little a, clip, yeah, yeah, was yeah. a quote unquote call in um, to the yeah. podcast uh, a while back, and I think you did like essentials of a youth room or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I did essentials of a youth room. Yeah, yeah, um, and we're gonna say this at the the top of the episode, but I'm just saying this again. 
Um, we're in Colorado right now, and we're recording this in the back of the room. We have no idea how this is going to sound. Um, we have a little bit of an idea because Chris has listened a little bit. We have not yet. But we hope this is helpful to you guys, even if it doesn't sound like our amazing studio quality that we usually have on this podcast. Um, but it's good to see all you guys in, in person. I mean, we're, we're oftentimes interacting through Zoom or a phone call. And so just to be in each other's presence, it's, it's awesome. Uh, we've also said uh, we're also struggling with the altitude. Um, it, it has nothing to do that's with why we're breathing pain. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, uh, if you listen to last week's episode, we talked about for the summer, we're going to try to continue to have this podcast and we're going to be talking about, um, frequently asked questions, but then also just kind of some general questions related to youth ministry. And, um, a lot of these apply to parents as well. So those parents who are tuning in, it won't solely be focused on youth ministry. Uh, but guys, uh, let's jump into a question. Maybe the most frequently asked question youth workers get is the question, uh, when are you going to be a real pastor or, or something along those lines? Um, Chris, Drew, Tree, have you ever gotten that question? All the time. And I'm happy to get that question. And I never want to be a big boy pastor, actually. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but, like, seriously, like, there's there's a certain freedom in youth ministry that you have where you are kind of go under the radar. You're not the one that everybody is looking at unless you, like, a, you know, make a big boo-boo, you know. But but you're oftentimes you are the most often forgotten about. So if, you're, if your personality type is one that really likes freedom, likes to ride on the radar, you like, like, uh, my, uh, the girl that works with me, Lindsay, she said, Chris, you are very much a surfer. You like riding waves that come to you. I am a sailor. I like charts. I like knowing where I'm going. I like being able to see the sun. Well, in youth ministry, I love surfing. Like, I just love riding the wave. And I don't feel like you can really do that as a senior pastor or a big boy pastor, quote unquote, <laughs> like big ch- the big church guy or whatever. Um, so I love it. I'm totally fine saying, I don't ever want to be a senior pastor or an adult pastor ever. You know, and I want to die doing this job. So I don't know. What about you guys? Yeah. Do you hear that too? Um, yeah, that's a. I've gotten that question. Uh, like I got it as recently as last night um, in our church small group, um, and it, the kid meant well. Um, but at the same time, it's like I, I I am a real pastor. Like you were you were at my ordination service. Your dad <laughs> is an elder and laid hands on me. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, it's it it can be um, it can be kind of insulting a little bit. Like if a if a a parent I about said grown up. Uh, <laughs> if a parent asks you like when do you want to be a real pastor um and you're actively like shepherding and pastoring their student um you know it but i again you know the the senior pastor they are over the whole church and the whole ministry so i, I understand the heart behind the question but um you know being asked when i'm going to be a real pastor or an actual pastor like student ministry is is practice uh but it's not i mean we deal with real issues Mm -hmm. like um i mean we deal with uh cutting and addiction and um anxiety and every issue under the sun so it's very much a real pastoral position what about you yeah yeah and i think we'll we'll jump into those some of those real issues too that's that's good you're bringing up but yeah tree what about you yeah i've never actually gotten this question personally but i've I've known plenty that have, 
Um, and my, my answer to it is, and it's easier said than done, but that, that's just something that you kind of just have to brush off and not ignore because it does sting, right? It is hurtful. Um, but the, the Lord loves me. I don't, my, my, my security does not depend on something that a student says. Like if, if that was the case, I would have been out of the job you know, the 10 seconds after <laughs> I started. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's something that we have to, to be able to just put aside and be like, you know what? I know they probably didn't mean that to come across the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe they do it just to push your buttons too. I know, I know that we have those students in our ministries, but sure. uh, I think it's something that we have to really just not take too personally, um, even though it, it does hurt, but you have to figure out how to allow the Holy Spirit to relieve you of that, that insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is. I mean, to me, it's, it's all about the timing. It's like, okay, <laughs> What, what's going on in life when that, that student asks that question? Sometimes, and especially if you do youth ministry for a, a long enough period of time, you do just kind of get a thick skin to it, and you realize, okay, that's going to be a question they ask. And sometimes it's it's really kind of an innocent question. They're kind of – because I guess maybe a sub-question to this is, you know, what do you do all day? You know, <laughs> um, or, or I even get, oh, so youth ministry is your full-time job? Like you don't do something else? You know, it's like – all kind of all in that that category. I've gotten those, and sometimes I just kind of laugh it off. Sometimes it's, you know, okay, they're a teenager and they just don't understand how involved this job is. But I think I can't can remember which one of you just said this. Sometimes, you know, when it's a parent, that's when it hurts a little bit more. And sometimes you can tell the parent is even aware of the question and they're trying to ask it more subtly of like, is this what you you want to do, uh, or are you wanting to do you know something else? You can see them kind of getting at it and that's where it does kind of hurt a little bit more because I don't know about you guys but for me I felt called to do student ministry long term and I mean even in my role with RYM I'm still doing youth ministry just in a different capacity so yeah what about you guys with kind of parents asking the question and all that anything any reaction to that yeah you know like I I don't know four years ago my mentor Bob he was a PCA pastor for years and years um, before he died, not long af- after this situation happened, but um, I showed up to Bob's hospital room and he asked me to bring an HDMI cable so he could hook up uh, his wife's computer to that crappy TV, you know, that's in the <laughs> most hospital rooms nowadays. And so I'm hooking it up and I'm running wires across the thing, and I'm and Bob's in his chair and he's like he's like pointing and telling me to do this or that. He doesn't know the difference in an ex a DVD player and a toaster oven, but like. So he's, he's like, telling me what to do. And a nurse comes in, and she says, Bob, is this your son? And Bob said, no, it's my pastor. Like, when he said that to me, like, I think that's – I just – I started getting teary-eyed because, like, it was, like, a really meaningful thing where I think for a long time I could say to myself, I mean, who cares? You don't have to be a ordained pastor with a, you know, college degree and a seminary degree and all this stuff in order to be – uh, a credible minister of the gospel, but I think when he said that, he really, he actually poked a hole in my insecurity, and it, it, it was the most encouraging thing someone had ever said to me, so if you're a pastor listening to this, or a parent listening to this, go and acknowledge, I think you should acknowledge the youth ministry and the ministers that are working with your kids and in your church, and, and start to acknowledge who they are, and say, this is a minister of the gospel, and we're proud of him. And I think that really could make a huge statement of relationship and commitment and, and just trust that um, that you probably already have. Actually, in that person, you hired them, you chased after them. But 
uh, to do that and acknowledge that, no, no, you're a minister, man. And we're proud of you, and we're glad you're here. I think that could really reach out. As far as parents talking to me about things, I just over the years I've learned not to take parents super seriously. On a lot of the things, I don't know about y'all, but, like, I just can't take a lot of the – I get so many comments, and I want those insights, but it's – I'm getting much older now, and I'm, I'm the old turd, I guess. But, like, it's just hard for me to take a lot of what they say seriously when it comes to the profession of youth ministry. Or, do y'all experience that, too, I guess? Like, does that answer your question? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, where I'm at right now, River Oaks um, – they've done a very good job of making it clear that I am a pastor on staff who happens to work with the students. Um, and, uh, they've been very encouraging, but not, you know, not every spot is like that. Um, you know, I've been a couple of places and heard of other places where you're the youth guy. That's where you stay. Um, you know, I've always said that student ministry is equal parts ministering to the students and ministering to the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to pastor the parents as well because statistically your students are in the car more with their parents during the week than they are with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not doing things actively to equip and teach and disciple parents, um, then you're cutting off your legs from underneath you in ministry. Um, so having a parent um, say, you know, when are you going to be a real pastor? Again, the the heart behind that is, um, you know, I've always interpreted that as, do you want to do student ministry forever? Or, you know, do you want to move into something else one day? And, um, you know, and that, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Just Mm -hmm. the wording might be off. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just got to understand who you're talking to, um, and run it through the proper filters. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a good word. And John, I'm similar with you. I was in a very ideal, um, uh, you know, church, uh, Peer Orchard Prez, and I specifically had a senior pastor that um, said things of, you know, you, you're a pastor in this church, and, you know, he would want to get me in the pulpit uh, to preach so the congregation would see that, as well as have have me at, at session meetings because he wanted to kind of educate the whole congregation of, look, you're not a second-rate pastor just because you're, you're with you know, youth workers. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there are times where, you know, yes, it can sting when you hear that. Sometimes we can chalk it up to just kind of ignorance of the calling, um, you know, from students to, to uh, parents asking that question. Um, but, yeah, it can it can discourage at times for sure. And before we get into maybe some encouragement, um, I know, too, I mean, Drew, you were listing some of the, the issues that we deal with. I know, I mean, that's something my senior pastor, I think, actually said to me of, um, sometimes you, you, John, are dealing with things we haven't dealt with yet as senior pastors because of the culture that you're growing up in and or these students are growing up in. And so, yeah, that, that's just kind of another way in which, okay, yeah, this is real ministry. And we were seeing very hard, sobering things at times. Um, so, yeah, just those youth workers that are listening out there kind of saying that for uh, encouragement. Um, and along those lines of encouragement, another question uh, that we want to get at is, um, you know, what scripture encourages you when you're discouraged? Um, but we know any ministry is hard, and not just ministry, but just life in a broken world. Um, those who are, you know, listening to this who aren't in full-time ministry, uh, I mean, you know, no matter what job you're, you're working, that's your, your ministry. You're ministering to people. You're, um, if you're a husband, if you're a, a wife, you're, you're ministering to your children and, you know, spouses and all that. So, so ministry is... Um, going to be you know tough or whatever it looks like in your life and so 
guys, maybe some some scriptures that you've um, uh, looked at uh, when when you're feeling discouragement. Uh, Trey, you got one? Absolutely. Uh, I have always loved and appreciated Psalm 126, and because it it juxtaposes good days and bad days right next to each other, and Lord knows in youth ministry. It's almost like a an even switch between a good day and a bad day. Uh, but I, I just want to read it since it's only six verses. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bring his sheaves with him. And the thing I love about this psalm is it's, it's one of the psalms of ascent, so they're going up to uh, Jerusalem, uh, they're singing this song, and they're remembering all the things that God has done for them, and there's joy, right? In the, the first three verses, there's great joy uh, because they've been freed from exile, and they're, they're on their way to where they feel like they belong, and you have things like laughter and joy um, and proclaiming that the Lord has done great things for them. And then there's a switch in verse 4 that there's almost like a remembering of all the bad stuff as well, uh, but also remembering the good things that God has done for them to get them through those. So that that's always been encouraging to me, especially this whole theme of weeping and sowing at the same time. Our work, that's, that's I mean, that's youth ministry right there, <laughs> just working in tears. Uh, <laughs> but, we, <laughs> but we get really good at hiding the tears so that nobody else sees them, uh, at least on our, our, our best days. Uh, but the whole the whole thing about sowing and tears uh, will sh- reap with shouts of joy. That has been such a, an encouraging, uh, strengthening for me. Uh, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy. Like that's just a reminder that we are we are on our way to something beautiful and good in heaven, and that is what gets us through the day. Um, and uh, it, yeah, I love the psalm. And there's a there's a wonderful song um, that goes along with this that I've always appreciated uh, hearing in worship. But yeah. That's a passage that's always been a, a deeply encouraging one for me uh, when I'm ready to throw in the towel. Mm. Yeah, watch Flight of the Concords. Listen to them at all. Uh. That one song where it's like, I'm not crying. It's just raindrops on my face. <laughs> I've been cutting onions for lasagna. For what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the Psalms are like, that's the, pl- I've been in, uh, I'm just going one straight chronologically. And I'll take three verses or one verse of the Psalms or the whole section. I've been do- doing that for about six months. I've just been in a hard season of ministry the last six months. And I think, uh, man, it's just refreshing because like what you said, Tri- like it's totally right. Like uh, the Psalms are the personal book of the Bible. And they're so emotional and so full of like relatable topics and pieces and benchmarks. And it's like, and especially when, John, you're talking about being discouraged, where do you go? It's like, well, golly dog, let's talk to the Hallmark guy of discouragement videos mm-hmm. here, like mm-hmm. David. Or, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just such a powerful thing to look at. This guy literally was being chased down. This li- guy literally literally was dealing with some very deep things. And he was being transparent and honest with those things and just bringing the truth to the surface. And uh, that encourages me to bring the truth to the surface of the situations I'm going through to talk to people and say, dude, I am... <laughs> This is not a good season right now, and this is really hard. Uh, whether it's you know, uh, every good youth pastor is always wrestling with a balance between home and work. And my wife right now is angry. Amanda is, she loves me, and we're not, we're in good terms right now. But like, you go through that season where you, it's it's really hard to discern who is your master at that given moment. 
and there's battles and you don't really know who's on your side and sometimes people are attacking you or going after you criticizing you and it's very difficult to to be able to discern do they love me and they're saying this or they're just being critical and they're saying this trying to bring you know validity to what their ideas are or whatever and I think the Psalms cut through that and they give me a a free path us a free path to say I'm not happy right now (laughs) and I need the words to say to say to the Lord I feel like you're not listening to me and I'm just sad and I just don't know what to do and just hear me um I just I haven't ever found I haven't even found that in poetry or in music a better way for somebody to speak for me in those terms than really how the Psalms are doing in my life right now honestly yeah um sense of theme because I'm in the Psalms too um Psalm 46, 8 through 11, um, has been one that's very recently been, um, been a big encouragement to me. Uh, the whole, really the whole Psalm, but these verses, um, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then Selah. So it says Selah three times in that psalm. And that's something that I've been trying to build into my life recently is just a rhythm of stopping, um, of just absorbing information from Scripture and absorbing information from just being still and quiet. Um, and then uh, verse 10 is the, I mean, everybody know, be still and know that I'm the Lord. But And we can put that on a pretty coffee mug or a pretty poster or whatever. But, I mean, if you look at the verses before that, he makes the war cease. He breaks the spear. And then he says, I will be exalted. I am God. I'll be exalted in the earth. I'll be exalted in the nations. Um, and that's humbling for a pastor because so often we feel like if we don't do something, it's not going to happen. But 46.10 comes in and says, I am always at work. You don't have to be. Um, I mean, that's why we go to sleep at night. Like, we go to sleep at night because God doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. He's working in the lives of our students when we're not around them. We, we pray and ask and, and hope to see a harvest, but um, you know, we'll have students stay in our student ministry the whole time in high school, middle school, high school, graduate, and we see very little growth. And then they go off to college and they find an awesome RUF pastor, and then they grow, you know, leaps and bounds. And then you're like, I, I did the work. Yeah. Then the RUF guy gets to do the work. There's no bitterness here, guys. Yeah. No bitter, no. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's it's just so freeing to just know that God is always at work, and he. He will be exalted. He's going to make sure that his name will be known in the nations. And it's not dependent on what we do and don't do. And that's so freeing. Yeah. Yeah, no. Thanks for that, guys. Yeah, that was that was good to hear from, from each one of you. I know we're getting close to time. Uh, so quickly, kind of for me, a verse that I cling to a lot just throughout life, Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9. Um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Um, I love it for a, a lot of reasons. One, it's just 
the gospel in one verse, you know, <laughs> and it's so clear. Um, but but to hear about the the poverty that Christ entered into and, and the brokenness and to think of, you know, whatever discouragement I'm going through, whatever low point I'm going through, um, I shouldn't be surprised by it. Um, that Jesus, I mean, clearly you, you read the Bible and we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We shouldn't be surprised by discouragement, by difficulty in ministry. We're, we're promised that. I mean, the Christian life, we're promised to be hated by the world. And so well, whenever we feel that discouragement, we think, okay, well, this is what our Savior went through. He, he entered into this poverty so that, and then the, the promise in that verse, so that we will have these endless riches that he's accomplished for us. Um, so that's definitely a verse that I, I cling to. Um, guys, I know this went by quick. At least it felt like that for me. Um, but for those listening, uh, we're here with 900 students, and these guys have students that they're <laughs> They, they need to be watching over. Um, you know, this is my job. Um, they're, 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 and not only, you know, that, but, I mean, these guys are teaching electives, too. So it's like they're, they've traveled here. They're teaching electives. They're also keeping up with students. And then they take this time just to sit down and, and share a little bit. So Tree, Drew, and Chris, thank you all for taking the time to, to come on the podcast today. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feed. Without pain, for the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave.